Wow, what a start. So looking forward to this journey with Marsh and the entire team. We have an amazing, amazing blessing to have these guys with us. Absolutely. This, just as I look up and all of the, those individual members of that team, they really do make an orchestra that accompanies us as we together before this audience of one. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, let me get, let you know where we are in this journey that we're on at the beginning of this fall. If you've been with us for a while, I'll remind you we're in a series that we're calling Calibrate. Calibrate is when I reorient my life according to what is really important and what I most need. Uh, ancient ships would calibrate their compasses going into a quiet harbor and saying, where is magnetic north? Now, the place where we calibrate is at the feet of Jesus. It's what He calls us to do. It's who He calls us to be as His people. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. This is the passage that's been leading us through this series, and we've got about three more weeks after this. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village. Now, this village we know from other sources in the New Testament is a place called Bethany. It's just east of Jerusalem. And that's where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. So she's having a dinner party, basically. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. Uh, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, Mary is expecting, or Martha is expecting Jesus to side with her. Well, sure, he's going to tell Mary to get up and, and, and to get busy. He surprises her with a firm, gentle rebuke, but it's a firm one. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. All right, we're going to repeat that, but instead of saying the word Martha, I want you to say your name out loud twice. Ready? One, two, three. Matt, Matt. Let's try it one more time. Everybody, hear your name spoken out loud. Ready? Go. Matt. Matt. The Lord answered, you're worried and you're upset by many things. And then he clarifies, he says, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. So Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. He says, Mary is doing what I want her to be doing. She's calibrating right now, getting, getting reoriented to what her ultimate identity is and calling. What's calibrating look like? It's five minutes or 50 minutes or five hours. Depends on the day in which we get to at the feet of Jesus in stillness. And these are some of the disciplines of calibration. Stillness, where we get off the treadmill for a while and get still at the feet of Jesus, and we submit. She's at His feet. She's submitting before His Lordship. And that will involve all of who I am, and that will lead me to surrendering in a sense of, with a sense of stewardship, my time, my abilities, my finances. It's all His. And, and we'll be silent about where He wants us to direct our time and abilities and finances. And that silence is not just emptying our minds of everything and achieving nothingness. It's, it's being silent in order to listen, listen to His Word, listen to Scripture. And in the midst of all of that, I need to refine a cadence in my life of 
sacrificial choices. Every one of us, every day, makes a choice. For every yes in my life, there's a no. Whatever I said yes to this morning, I said no to something else. And what Jesus is doing is an affirming Mary for saying yes to sitting at His feet and saying no to all the other distractions. Today we're coming to single-mindedness being part of the deal. Go back to verse 42. Jesus said, Mary has chosen, there are lots of things you could be focusing on, but really few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better. Now, if you go into a nursery or a playroom with a bunch of toddlers with tons of toys, one of the things that you notice right away is there's not a whole lot of single-mindedness. You ever notice that with little kids? I mean, it's, it's really fun to watch them play because they'll be, if there's lots of toys, wow, this is pretty cool. And then all of a sudden, somebody might t- grab it or, or catches their eye and the, they're, on, they're on to the next one. And they're saying, man, this is great. And this is, oh, wait a minute. What is that? And then they'll start, you know, there's a running uh, bet, I think, right now. There's a pool back in the worship team. Can I fit in this? But we won't know. But so you'll be doing that. And then all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, a chickie or a duck or whatever that is. And I'll go back to this one. Oh, I forgot about this. That's really fun. Oh, what's this over here? Constant movement. The older kids get, the more they learn to focus. So it's really funny and fun to see little children with a lack of single-mindedness and floating from one thing to another, to flitting from here, flirting to there. It's not as funny when adults do it. And we all do it. We all start worrying and getting upset about so many things. And Jesus says, there's only one thing. It's only one. Last night we were at the halls and some friends having dinner. Came to the topic of favorite movies, and you know, as I go, I go back, I don't know that it's one of my favorite movies, but it's certainly a memorable one. You guys remember long ago, City Slickers? Remember that one? And uh, you got these two guys going to a dude ranch. Billy Crystal's one of the characters, and they meet this old guy, Jack Palance's character, and he scares them to death, and he is asked, what's the secret to life? And he says, you know what the secret to life is? Remember, he holds up that old gnarly, I think it it looked like about a 135-year-old hand, and he says, one, one thing. And Billy Chris said, that's that's the secret. He says, yep, it's one thing. Billy, he says, well, what's the one thing? And he said, that's for you to figure out. There's an aspect of maturity where we come to one thing, but that's not where maturity starts, really. We've got to make sure the one thing is the right thing that the one thing is the thing. Our vision is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. And being fully alive in Jesus involves a regular cadence of calibrating at His feet. Now, you guys remember the ABCs of being fully alive? What's fully alive look like? Huh? Awe, A-B-C-D-E, awe, brokenness, creativity, depth, engagement, fellowship generosity, heart. But what's I? Intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus. That's the essence of the life of the gospel. I was dead, dead to God, dead to His heart, dead to relationship. He 
forgave my sin by His work on the cross, calls me back into a relationship. And that call is one of intimacy. John 17, 3, Jesus is the essence of eternal life. So eternal life is not a synonym for heaven. We'll experience eternal life in heaven. But eternal life is being united with the Father. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Intimacy. That's what Mary is doing. Lots of things every day of our lives want to distract us. And Jesus says, you know, a lot of those things, some might be good, some some might be downright sinful, and you got to put those to the side. But even the good stuff, it's got to fall into the background before this one thing. Learning to relate with Jesus in my board meetings, in my recreation, in my family time, in my alone time. And constantly coming back and calibrating, how am I living my life and am I living in deference to and accordance with this ultimate relationship of intimacy with Him? That will require single-mindedness, not just daily, but hourly. Now, the best commentary on Scripture, you've heard me say before, is other Scripture. So in Psalm 27, verse 4, David gives the Old Testament version of this story of Mary and Martha. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says this, one thing I ask from the Lord. How many things? One thing. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. He says, in the midst of all that's going on, There's one thing above all else that I'm after. And you know, we hear that, we've got our to-do lists, our clients, our family, our stresses, our medical bills. We've got all this stuff swirling around and we say, wouldn't that be nice? You know, I know David, he's got got this monastery life, he's off to the side. Let me tell you what the context is. David is not on some beach in the Caribbean fulfilling another contract for his publisher to do another hit song. He's not writing this psalm for that. He's in the middle. I've got a lot going on in my life, and part, you know, part of this, this series is for me to calibrate. People say, why'd you pick this series? I said, I needed it. For me to calibrate, because I get worried and distracted uh, by so many things, and really only one thing is ultimately needed. And it happens in the midst of all the stuff. It's not waiting for it all to get set. You know what the context is? David is being pursued by Saul's army, and they're out to not affirm him, but kill him. He's running for his life. Look at the context. Verse 1, Psalm 27, he says, the Lord is my light, and He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, he might be holed up in a cave when he's writing this, with Saul's army around him. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Now you hear the verse in its context. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. All right, if I'm David, I got an army besieging me, and I've got one thing I'm going to ask from the Lord. What's, what do I want to add? God, would you get rid of the army? Would you give me more ammo? 
Would you do this, that? In the midst of all this other stuff swirling around, he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, go back to a verse that I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek. No, go back to verse 4, that was my fault. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. That is what I ultimately need. David's doing what Mary was doing. What Mary was doing is what Jesus says we all need to do. Calibrate at my feet. But what about that? Yeah, I get that. We'll deal with it. But what about… Yeah. What? Relate with me. Make a single-minded, sacrificial choice. So what will that look like? Let me give you four expressions. Let's go back through verse 4 of Psalm 27. First expression, it will involve direction on a daily basis. One thing. What's your one thing? What's mine? What's my one thing? Every person has a one thing at any given moment. You've got one thing right now. Jesus says to Martha, he says, Mary, she's chosen what's better. Am I choosing what's better? Am I making a sacrificial choice to display a cadence of single-mindedness in the midst of all of these other distractions to say, you know what, this really is something that's attractive. This is something that's haunting me. This is something that's worrying me. This is something that's overwhelming me, but I'm going to choose one thing. Okay. Our campus is on Dog Track Road. Why is it called Dog Track Road? Because there's a dog track. And years ago, I remember reading about a dog track in Florida. I don't think it was this one, but it was somewhere in Florida. We're in the middle of a race, so the, the dogs are running around the track and they're chasing a mechanical rabbit. I didn't even know that. They run, chase after mechanical rabbits, this uh, a little artificial rabbit that's supposedly taken off and going around the track. They had an electrical situation happen, and the rabbit had a short out and exploded. So it was just burnt fur and smoking, and it stopped right there. And they said, what was phenomenal is these, hey, the dogs didn't know a, a rabbit could explode. And then when it did, they all stopped. Some stopped and went over to sniff the burnt fur. Others turned around, started howling at the crowd. Some others just laid down in the track. A few others headed back to where they came from. What was the problem? They all lost their one thing. We need one thing. What's your one thing? What's mine? Where do I go for significance? Where do I go for a sense of security? Where, I, where do I go for stress relief? Where do I go for self-esteem? Do we chase after maybe popularity or possessions? Maybe it's power we think will, will do it for us. Or pleasure. Jesus says, this is the one thing that you need. So every morning waking up saying, 
I've got a direction here. It doesn't mean I don't deal with other things, the sin I need to put aside, the other things, there might be some good things. The bottom line, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, here's what you do. You've got to choose your one thing, which is me, my kingdom, my righteousness. Seek first, seek first my kingdom. Now, he says, let me tell you what the pagans do. Now, Jesus is not using that in a derogatory sense. He's just saying that those that don't know the name, the name of God, they, they worry. We all, we get worried and upset and distracted. And there's all this stuff. He says, let me tell you something. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. You know what? Their tendency is to put that down and run after this, run after that. He says, you know what? Your heavenly father knows. He knows what you need. But seek first His kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a place, it's the realm of His rule. It's the realm of His authority. Seek first to submit before Him and His righteousness. Righteousness, not just a moral code, it's rightness with God. I'm forgiven and given positional right standing before Him. My sin's forgiven, but then I need to learn to live righteously, to live according to the symphony of His commands and His love and His grace. And you know what? Once I'm doing that, relating with Him in intimacy, all these other things, the ones that are needed, uh, they'll be added. Pick your direction. Name your one thing and make sure it's the right thing. And go back to the text. The second thing that we need to choose, second really expression of single-mindedness, after the direction comes a dependence. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. You can tell a lot about your own journey or, or, or another person by what they pray for. And there are plenty of times my prayer has to do with this thing and that thing and that thing instead of, I want, I want, I want you. I want closeness with you in the midst of all of this stuff. Dependence. He takes the first step in this dance. But I say, Jesus, I need you. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, we looked at this in our submission weekend. Sow for yourselves righteousness. This calling that you've got, let the seeds of the gospel go deep into the soil of your heart. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of His unfailing love. I don't have to earn my way to this. He's invited me because of the cross, because of His forgiveness. He says, my love's going to be unfailing. Then, break up your unplowed ground. There's hard, crusty soil, remember we talked about, that's resistant to seed. So what does it sound like? What does the invitation sound like when Jesus says, I want intimacy with you. I want intimacy with you. I want relationship with you. What's that invitation? The seeds of that invitation, what's it sound like? You know what seed sounds like when you throw it on concrete or throw it on hard pan? It's clatter. It just is resistant. What he's saying in this text is break up that unplowed ground and let the seeds of that invitation fall on soft, soft soil that's plowed, that's ready. It's humility. It's me saying, I'm not resistant to you. I'm, I need you. I need you. 
It's humility. James chapter 4, verse 6, God gives more and more grace. But you know what? I'm not going to experience it until I humble myself. As opposed to the proud, when people say, you know what? I don't need you, God. I need to do all these other things. That's that dry soil and the seed clatters. But when we say, I need you, I am desperate for you. I'm humble. To be humble is just to be honest. It's not some, hey, I don't have to play some mind trick. To be humble is to say, Jesus, I got nowhere else to go. This will not address the deepest yearnings of my soul, nor will this, nor will solving that, this. Ultimately, I need you. Let me ask Marsh to come out and Sing over us a hymn that you've heard here before. It's an ancient spiritual, an old spiritual from, goodness, 100, 150 years ago, I think, called Give Me Jesus. What are you dealing with right now? You know what you're in my ultimate need is? Jesus says, we'll deal. All these other things will be added to you, but right now, you need me. You need a closeness with me friendship with me. Now, we'll do uh, here in a few months, probably after the holiday, sometime in the, the winter, a series on worship. One of the things we'll talk about is worship both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Hebrew word for worship, the Greek word for worship, have to do with bodily posture that manifests itself into the cadence of my journey, bowing, lifting hands, kneeling. And one of the things we do here some is open palms. I'd like you to just open your palms right where you are. You know, the, you, know, you know what you got going. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's some stress over the job. Maybe it's a relational issue. I don't know what it is. Jesus said, whatever it is in the midst of that, and David models it. Ask him. Make a good request now. Our prayer lives are directly related to our humility, and our humility is directly related to how honest we are about what we ultimately need. So as Marsh is singing, take these words. Let them become your own. And just say, whatever I'm dealing with, give me Jesus. In the morning, when I rise in the morning, when I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, give me
moment in a human being's life when we say all of this is there, but you know what? Above all, give me Jesus. But we're not done with the single-mindedness at that point. We then need to layer on top of that direction and that dependence a diligence, an intensity, a passion. Now, that diligence is directly related to our desperation and our direction. I'm not going to be diligent about, about something that I don't sense I need. I'm not going to pursue what I don't prefer. And a lot of people, times we're not, into, we're not passionately pursuing intimacy with Jesus because we're not yet convinced these other things won't satisfy us. But David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, and that only shall I seek. So it's not just, okay, I got it. No, there's an action word. This only do I seek that I may dwell. The word dwell there is a permanent word. It's not, I'm not just going to dabble. I'm dwelling. I am here. I am here in the midst of whatever comes. There's a permanence there that I may dwell in the house of the Lord on Sundays when there's no ball game on TV. No. All the days of my life. And you guys know what the Hebrew word for all there is. It means all. Every day. Happy days, sad days, challenging days, calm days. All the days of my life. Being diligent. A lot of times we, we're not convinced that this is really ultimately what's going to do it. We think that along with a bunch of these other things. And as a result, we're not, we're not diligent enough. I'm not referring to working our way to Jesus. He's taking the first step in the dance, but it's me embracing ultimately my need. I love the story of the guy that took a pilgrimage to the desert, a business guy who was wanting to get right with, with, with God and 
He was told about some hermit that lived up in the mountains, a very spiritual guru kind of guy. He finally found him. Just talking to him, telling him what he ultimately want. I want. I want a relationship with 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 God, and uh, I also want to be baptized. Do you baptize people? And this guy said, "Yeah, I, I'll baptize you." And he says, "Come with me." And they walked a little ways to a little oasis, a pool. And he says, oh, "And the guy said, you got to be kidding me. This is actually going to happen.'" He's all excited. And he gets in the water, and the old man comes down, stands next to him, says some of the the right things, and then puts him under. And he goes down. And now he's, while he's under the water, he's just kind of entering into the moment. Now, whether you're a Baptist or not, every one of us has an internal clock as to how long a baptism should last, you know? There's just a particular moment when you think, okay, I think that was good. I'm done. And that guy had that moment. He's ready to come up. So, but the guy's not, he's, he's not bringing him up. So he says, okay, I need to, I need to take all this in a little bit more. I think he's, he's wanting me to make sure I'm getting it. So. But now he's getting a little uncomfortable, and so he goes to rise back up, and to his shock, he feels pressure from the old man keeping him under the water. He's thinking, okay, maybe he really wants me to get this. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to enter into this. And after a few moments, he's forgotten about all the spiritual stuff. He just is interested in one thing, and that is something that he doesn't have at that moment, and it's air. And so he starts to come back up, and to his shock, the old man puts both hands and all his weight on him to keep him under the water. And he starts not caring a whole lot about this frail man. He just wants to get rid of that man so he can get through the water. And he is shocked at how strong the dude is. And there's this tussle back and forth, and he is flailing now. He's starting to see stars and his lungs are burning. And just when he thinks he's about to pass out, he makes one final lunge at the guy and the old man backs away. And this guy bursts through the surface of the water, inhales what he had before taken for advantage, taken advantage of, had kind of taken for granted and inhales the air and then looks at this idiot that he's been calling his spiritual guru and says, why in the world are you trying to kill me? What are you doing? And the guy calmly looks at him and says, when you were under the water, what did you want more than anything else? He says, ask me a difficult question because that one's easy. I wanted air, obviously. And then the old man said, when you want God, when you come to the place where you want God, as much as you wanted air when you were under the water, that's when you'll be in business. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. God says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me when it's convenient. Mm -mm. When you seek me with all your heart. Now, Marsh and I were talking a little bit about the, the diligence factor. And worship is, an, is a display of, of diligence, of passion, of acknowledgement that we need Him. But we were talking about the rootedness. You talked a little bit about the second point being related to the third point. Right. Uh, I think dependence, understanding our dependence, just as you were talking about our dependence on air, informs our diligence. Um, I think an, another D in between those two is probably desperation, figuring wow. out, uh, understanding that it doesn't work. It doesn't work without the battery. It doesn't work without Christ and the, and the diligence, the daily, uh, you know, we, we talked about this a little, little during our musical worship time of, of, of putting God 
in his rightful place day after day after moment after hour after situation of putting him back on our on his throne which he's never left but we have that we have that little uh peace in us that tends to put other things in the way and and try to eschew him off his throne but that the being diligent about that yeah yeah well so and as you were talking earlier this morning it was an image uh, came to mind in terms of what we do when we gather here we're not just going through a polite this man is passionate about that conductor's baton. He's passionate about you and me together as a community, and as am I, about us coming together, acknowledging that He's enough. Uh, but the image came to me of, a, let's, let's take a glass of water. No ice, just a glass of water. It's cool water, but… Uh, and I'm going to offer it to you in two different situations. The first one is at a party. You've just been to the punch bowl about three times, and then I come over and say, hey, here's a glass of water. What are you going to say to me? Probably say, hey, thanks, because you want to be polite. You might even take it. Might take a sip just to not hurt my feelings, but as soon as I'm gone, you're going to put it over on the shelf because it's, you're just kind of being polite to say thank you. Here's the second scenario. I'll offer you the same glass of water, and you're in a de desert, and you've been in that desert for two days, and the last 24 hours you have not had a drink of water. I think you'll still say thank you, but it'll be different. There's that religiosity, thank you, that we do it out of politeness. And then there's that we're men and women of the desert. And none of this is water for our soul like Him. You know, in marshes, we're talking about embarking on this new season, this chapter of worship. I haven't asked you this in the other services, so, but Reese comes up with the meaning of the universe, so you can come up with, with this, but what is it that you yearn for in us as people when we gather together as a community for worship? What are you hoping that we come prepared to do and engaged with? What comes to the top of your mind? I pray we come expecting to encounter God. Mm. Mm. I can't imagine. Not just going through church motions. No, you can sing songs anytime you want to. Mm. Mm. When we gather, we're gathering as a culmination of a week in which we've been in the desert, and each day we were having that privilege of water. But we're also seeing this, this gathering as a catapult into the following week. There is power when we come together and worship. It's not just, as he said, singing songs. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out and let's look at the fourth direction and then we're just going to do it, the, the, the fourth expression. There's first direction, then there's dependence, uh, and then there's diligence, but then comes delight. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, and that only shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That's not just church. That's in the realm of His presence every day, all the days of my life. And then he says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple, to gaze on the beauty of that glass of water that my life depends upon, and to seek Him in His temple, to say, we need you. We need you desperately. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, 
working wonders. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. There's, you're awesome in glory. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, and he says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. The word beauty there, literally in Hebrew, really entails delightfulness. And to seek Him in His temple, you could also translate it inquire. It's, it's going both ways. It's speaking His worth to Him of who He is and what He does. Eugene Peterson says this, I don't know where you are, but we're not here just to punch a card. We're here to engage with the God of wonders who is more than enough. He says, the gospel message says you don't live in a mechanistic world ruled by necessity. You don't live in a random world ruled by chance. You live in a world ruled by the God of Exodus and Easter, and He will do things in you that neither you nor your friends would have supposed possible. So right now in the midst of the desert of your journey, would you stand and let's acknowledge with a sense of direction as well as dependence, but also diligently, intensely, passionately, let's delight in the fact that He's enough. Jesus, as we sing this final psalm, may it not just be singing a song in politeness, may it be proclaiming something musically as men and women of the desert who've come across the oasis for our ultimate need. Enable us to get a glimpse, to engage with the fact that you are enough from whatever we got going on in our life that's been worrying us and upsetting us and distracting us. May we together as your people say one thing we're going to ask of the Lord, and that's what we're together going to seek. We want to gaze on your beauty to gaze on your enoughness, to gaze on your truth, to gaze on your life and your grace. Hear us right now.